good morning. You can grab a seat. Man, and, and again, if you're new, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor, and uh, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, we're just going to continue in this kind of atmosphere and mode of worship to continue along God speaking to us and working in us. We'll have a time of worship at the end as well. And so, again, thanks for making it out and being here today. We're, if, you're, if you're joining us, we're in a series that we started last week. We're going to conclude it next week. It's kind of a short series, three weeks. And we're really looking looking at that if um, really kind of the three main things that we believe God wants for every single person. So every person out there, these are three big things, and I would say main things that God wants for you. And in addition to that, these are the three big things God wants for every church. So we're a non-denominational church here at Pathway, but regardless of your, if you have any church background or no church background, uh, we believe these are the three big things that God wants in every church, and so what we started doing, kind of, um, you know, pathway. We just turned five years old as a church, and uh, when about a year before that, we had a, uh, my wife and I had a full year to really think and discuss and kind of pray about what you're, we're starting a church literally from scratch, from the ground up. And so it's a really cool thing because you're coming into something brand new, and you can kind of make it how you want it in a way. And so. We started by really asking the question, um, if you could make a church any way you wanted. I mean, we could do cowboy church. We could do fitness church. We could do hip and trendy church. Like, we could do church any way we wanted. What would be the way that, that if we could look at, well, what would be God's way? That if God could come down and say, I'm going to create the church, and this is exactly what I want it to look like and be like, this would be it. And the cool thing is he's done that, and we have the answer to that in the New Testament of the Bible. The Bible has New and Old Testament. And in the New Testament, the fifth book of the New Testament is called Acts. It means the actions of the disciples. So, um, you know, Jesus came, and we're about to celebrate his birth here at Christmas in a few weeks, in a few months. And, and then he died on the cross. We celebrate that at Easter, his resurrection. And then a lot of us, if you don't know, you're like, well, I think that's just kind of it. Well, no, that's, that's kind of the beginning, really. And so then what happens after Jesus ascends back to heaven? Well, Acts is the actions of the disciples after the death, resurrection of Jesus, what they continued to do that Jesus started. And what's really amazing was Jesus told them, hey, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, Jesus tells them in chapter 1 of Acts, he says, hey, don't go anywhere, don't do anything, because I'm going to send you a gift that you have to have. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't even go tell the world about me. I don't even want you to preach a sermon. I don't want you to heal the sick. I don't want you to serve the poor. I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to stay and wait and pray until I send you something. In other words, he's really saying, what I'm going to send you is the most important thing that you have to have. And we later know that that is the Holy Spirit. And we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit is God's spirit instead of God being like in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit is God's spirit that can be everywhere uh, in our life. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a, in a couple of weeks, actually, in November. We're excited about that, of who he is, what he does, why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. But, but so that happens. The, these followers of Jesus, there's, it started with the 12 disciples, and then Judas 
kind of betrayed Jesus and committed suicide. So then there's 11. Well, then it turned to 120. There's 120 people in a room. It's the same room where Jesus had his last meal, his last supper that we celebrate communion today. And in that room, they're all praying and waiting and praying and waiting and praying and waiting. God sends the power of the Holy Spirit, radically changes them. Peter, who about 60 days before that had had publicly and openly denied that he even knew Jesus, now about 60 days later stands up and preaches about Jesus. And then 3,000 people at once give their life to Jesus and become Christians. And so the church went from a kind of a small church of 120 to a mega church of 3,000 instantly. It's really cool. And so the end of Acts is literally, this is the birth of the church. You're in the delivery room of the church. This is God's blueprint. He is the architect of what he wants church to be and look like. And we're going to read his blueprints. You're in the delivery room. And so let's look at this in Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, at Pathway, as we started off last week, um, we said, hey, if we're going to look at that, and, and we've been doing, you know, I've been doing a, a very in-depth research on this, these couple of sentences here, on these verses, and, and the three things that I believe that, that are overlap each other, the three things that repeat themselves. So as we've said many times before, anytime the Bible repeats itself, we really need to pay attention. So we said, hey, there's a couple of places that overlap each other. They're kind of woven together. They're all happening uh, simultaneously. But there's three distinct things that we think are major enough that God wants for each individual person and for a church. And the first one we said last week was just to be in God's presence at Pathway we would say it like this, to know God. Notice the first thing they did. They met together and they prayed together. In other words, they experienced God's presence, just like what we did collectively as a group. We experienced the power of God in the room during worship. And so we said last week, hey, God wants you to have that on your time, not just like, I can't wait for Sunday to worship God. Yes, certainly. But you can have the same God that you just felt while we were singing those beautiful and powerful songs. You can have that same experience on your own Monday through Friday, or if you're a super Christian, Monday through Saturday, okay? You can have that, and God wants that for you. We say it like this at Pathway, know God. We mean two main things by that. One, know him in a personal way, a relationship with him, a relationship with Jesus. The Bible would say that that's saved. So first the question is, am I saved? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? If the answer is yes, then great. If no, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end. But, but it's more than just, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I love Jesus. I'm, I can check that box. No, no, no. you got to know him. We said last week that's a lifelong process of just being in his presence, of as we just sang about making room for God in your daily life. We're going to make room for God here on Sundays, of course, but in your own time. We said last week, are you more in love with Jesus today than you were last year at this time? That's a great kind of barometer to question that. So... 
knowing God, growing in that relationship with him. Now today, we're going to look at what we would consider the second main thing that we see here in Acts 2, and that is what we would call fine family. Notice verse 44 and 46, it says, they met together. It says it, and again, it repeats it, 44 and 46, those sentences, that they met together daily, regularly. That it wasn't just kind of a once a month thing because I'm really busy with my kids' stuff. No, no, no. They made it a priority to be together. In other words, don't be alone. God did not create you to be alone. You guys, I would just honestly and boldly say this, and you might disagree with me, but I think I can kind of point it out biblically, theologically, that, that I don't know that you can be a solo Christian. I just don't think that you can say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't go to church. No, I just don't think that that's true. Because if you really love Jesus, you're going to love what Jesus loves. What does he love? People, the church. He died for people. He loves the church. So how can you say you love Jesus, but you don't love his people? Like that just doesn't, that doesn't equate. So no, don't be alone. God created you to be in relationships. Now here's the question for you. Are the relationships that I am in in my life healthy? Do the people that I surround myself with and allow to speak into my life, do they, is it healthy? Do they want the best for me? Are they really helping me to be a better person and to grow? Don't be alone. They met together. God wants you to have healthy relationships that you can't wait to be together. I mean, that's the idea that, that and I'm, again, we're not talking 120 people. We're talking 3,000 and 120 people. They couldn't wait. I mean, there's this anticipation of like, oh, man, men's group is this Wednesday night. I forgot about it. I don't know if I'll make it. No, they're like, I can't wait for men's group. Oh, man, this Sunday. I, like, I'm going to, instead of plan my week and then church, I'm going to plan my whole week around church, around groups, around relationships that are going to help me grow. You want to be countercultural, that's how you do it. You need healthy relationships that are going to help you grow. In fact, the New Testament compares, and, and Peter, who this guy that we said stand up and preach this message that 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus, this same Peter later on would write a letter to some Christians, and he would say, hey, you need to be careful because Satan is like a lion that is walking around, stalking its prey, ready to devour someone. Now, the thing about lions is they never attack a herd dead on. They never attack the strongest of the herd. They always find the weakest, whether that's a, a sick animal or a young animal that is kind of straggling behind, and they will target the animal that is alone or off by itself. That's who they devour. The biblical spiritual principle is just as true for you and I today. That's why relationships and groups are so important. Because Satan knows if I can get you to, and this is what happened. I see a lot as a pastor, and, and, and I mean this in love. But people are like, wow, man, I give my life to Jesus. I'm at church every week, and that's wonderful. And then we get busy, right? Our kids get busy. We get busy. Just life happens, and now it's, you know, it's, it's kind of every other week. I'm still going just every other week. And then about three, six months later, it's uh, now it's once a month. And then about three, six months later, it's I go at Christmas and Easter. And then all of a sudden, uh, your life just blows up, and you don't know who to call. You don't know what to do because you had healthy relationships, but now Satan has got you distracted by the busyness of life. Jesus talks about that. You get distracted by the busyness of life. Look, we're all busy. There's not one person in this room that's more busy than the other. We all have 24 hours a day. But when you don't manage it well, 
and you don't make a priority of other healthy followers of Jesus in your life, and they don't have to be coming to pathway. I don't care where they go. If they're a solid follower of Jesus, that's what matters. And all of a sudden, when life hits the fan and you don't know where to go, you don't know who to turn to, you talk about being depressed and discouraged and alone? Absolutely. And that's how the enemy wins and devours your life and your joy and your hope and your peace. You know, there's a better way. It's God's way that says, I'm not just going to be part of the herd. I'm going to be in the middle of the herd. I'm not just going to stand on the outside and just kind of go when it's convenient for me. I'm going to plan my life around it. I'm going to make it a priority. Notice what it says, the, the first couple of words there in verse 42, they devoted themselves, not it was optional when they felt like it, when their calendar allowed for it. No, they were obsessed. That word, the New Testament was written in Greek. That word Greek, devoted, is, is like obsessed. They are focused. They are, it, it is a priority. Everything in their life revolves around it. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to growing. Here's the interesting thing. Um, I'm a, I'm a millennial, and um, that could be good or bad. I don't really care. But I'm a millennial, and and uh, even though the gray hair. But I'm a millennial, and uh, George Barna, who's a research guru, asked a bunch of millennials this question. This is right before the pandemic, about 2019. Ask millennials, um, over 2,000 of them, all across the United States, all different backgrounds. He said, hey, it, what we, what's the number one thing you look for in your ideal church? So what would be the number one thing? Some of them go to church, some of them don't. But like if you could, your perfect church, what would be the number one thing you look for? You know what they said? Authentic relationships. Number one thing. In fact, 81% authentic relationships. Not, we want really great preaching, and that's good. We want really great worship, and that's good. We want really cool coffee or whatever. That's fine. But the number one thing, eight out of ten people my age said that they wanted in their ideal church is authentic relationships. They want to be known. So I would just say this, to be honest, if you're kind of maybe older in the crowd, like I'm certainly not a millennial, I'm more like the boomer side of things, then listen, here's, we need you. Millennials need you. They, they may not tell you that, so I'm going to speak on behalf of them because they don't have the guts to do it, but they need and want you to speak into their life. Maybe they don't have good parents or good grandparents, and you can be that for them as a spiritual mom, a spiritual dad, grandpa, whatever, but they need that in their life, and they want that. They're looking to you. They may not come out and ask you because they're scared, I guess, but they're looking for you, and they're looking at your example of how you are a parent and how you're a husband and a wife. Listen, that's what we need, authentic relationships. That's what the church is meant to be. In fact, at Pathway, um, we, we don't have membership. We, we never have, and as long as I'm alive, we never will. So if somebody, what do I got to do to be a member? Well, nothing. <laughs> we don't have members. Well, why? Well, we're not a country club. No offense to country clubs. Like, if, if you got a hookup, hook me up. I like to play golf too, okay? Um, but we're not a country club, all right? No offense to that, but we're not. When I think of membership, I think of country club and Sam's club, all right? And those are kind of two end of the spectrums, but we're not that. We're a family. In fact, we said that today, and I didn't even say this. We had a huddle for just our Purpose team members, and they, 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 they just do it. Let's just give it up for our Purpose team members. They do all this stuff. They're amazing. 
And, and we don't call them volunteers. We call them purpose team. And uh, we have a huddle every Sunday right before you, the rest of you get here. And, uh, and and the person leading the huddle, we have somebody that, that has joined the purpose team. And they said, hey, welcome to the family. I didn't tell them to say that. I didn't pay them money. That's just what we say. And when we do that, hey, that's what family does. That's what we are. We're family. We take that seriously. Now, here's why that matters, because family helps me grow. you got to understand that it's not just about you. Family helps you grow. Notice verse 42 and 45. It says they encouraged each other to grow in their relationship with God. It says it twice, that they encouraged each other, and they grew in fellowship. They grew together. It's not even about necessarily growing the church. Only God can do that. But they grew each other. They grew, and I'm helping you grow, and that's the beauty of being in a small group or a purpose team or coming on weekends, on Sundays, and and coming on a regular basis. Family helps me grow. That's why that's so important. Listen, family shapes who you are. Family, growing up, most likely, you have the values that you have. You see the world the way you do because of your parents or grandparents or whoever raised you. Good or bad. Now, maybe it's because they were such an extreme this way that you're an extreme that way. Or maybe because you had a great relationship with them and they viewed the world through this lens and that's exactly how you view the world too. I mean, but nonetheless, you cannot deny your family growing up shapes what you think, feel, and respond to right now in your everyday life, good or bad. Family shapes you. So if that's true of our biological family growing up, how much more of that is the family or friends, people that influence and speak into our lives? Are they speaking into your life? Who is your family? Because that's shaping how you think. Who is your family? Because that's shaping, honestly, how you view God. As a parent, I am shaping, and it's a responsibility I take more seriously than anything else, how my kids view God, how they view their mom. Because how I treat their mom is how most likely they're going to treat their spouse and treat their kids. And so it's so important. Who is the group of friends in your life right now that is pouring into you, speaking into your life because they're shaping, good or bad? If you hang around people that really, you know, have bad attitudes and they're negative all the time, that's going to be you. But if you, if you hang around people who love God and want to be around him more, that will be you as well. What group are you in? What small group are you in? What team are you in? That's going to encourage you. That will shape everything about you. I believe this. Your family cares enough to confront. Family is good because we have each other's back. Through thick and thin, through the highs and the lows, we've got your back. When you mess up royally, we've got your back. When it's the greatest season of your life, we've got your back. But with that, we care enough to confront. You see, it's really not a friend if they don't care enough to confront. You know, it's not a friend if you have lunch with them and you have a salad and there's salad all in your teeth and they don't point that out. That ain't a friend, okay? Get get some new friends. No, a real friend will pull you aside and say, hey, you know, you look like Bugs Bunny. Let's go to the bathroom, clean that out, and, and this is distracting. Like, that's what a friend does. So it is in your life. They'll say, hey, I don't know what's going on lately, but I care enough to confront I'm not micromanaging your life. I'm not nitpicking every little thing. I got issues in my own life. I admit that. But something's up with your attitude. It stinks. Something I, I, You're gossiping right now about something. You need to cut that out. You know what? You're, you got this negative vibe towards God or, or whatever, they, or towards your spouse, whatever. We, let's talk about that. 
Like, I care enough to go. And look, they may get mad. When you point it out, they may get mad. But a good friend will come back and say, you're right. Thank you. I, honestly, deep down, I was hoping someone would point that out. I was hoping someone would care enough to confront and point these things out. That's what family does. Listen, um, I don't know if you know this, but you are the average of your five closest friends. There's a Wall Street Journal article that came out, um, I think it was 2018, that said um, if, if you want to lose 10 pounds, get around people losing weight. And that's how you lose weight. In fact, they did this study, so it's scientifically backed, that if you get around five people that are losing 10 pounds, before long, you're going to lose 10 pounds as well. And this is true. This happened in my life. Like, um, I, I really didn't used to go to the gym ever. And, uh, and I started hanging around some friends. I had two, three friends at the time that were gym rats. I mean, they just, they, they looked great and they, you know, were muscular. They looked like Thor and they just were, you know, buffed guys. And I thought, I want to look like that. And so I just, I didn't even, it wasn't it was just a, it was some conscious thing. I need to start going to the gym. And so I did. So I, just, I never looked like Thor. I never looked anything like those guys, but I was going and I was in, in good shape. Since then, I've stopped because I love donuts too much. But that's, you know, it's another message. But so it's true. My parents tell me that all the time, and, and you're the average of your three closest friends, and that's true. And same thing with your income. You want to make more money? Hang around people making more money than you. You want to make less money? Hang around people making less money. It's a fact of life. You want to be happier in your marriage? Hang around some godly people that are happy in their marriage. You want to be a better parent? Hang around some people that are godly parents with their kids. You want to learn how to pray better and know the power of God more in your life? Hang around some men and women of God who know how to get a hold of God through prayer, who know how to move heaven and earth and be in the presence of God. You want to learn more about the Bible? Be around some men and women of God who can study the Bible and pour into you. It's true. My, you know, it is true with your grades as well for students that are in the room. And, and, and for me, I was a C average student. And, 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 and it was like if I wanted to make better grades, I had to hang around some B average kids. I never did that. So my grades reflected that. But the opposite is just as true. If you're a C average student and you hang around some D average students, before long, your grades are going to reflect that. You can have the happiest marriage in the world, come to church, love God, all the things but the family that you're around shaping you, it doesn't happen overnight, doesn't happen in a week, doesn't happen in a month, six months, nine months, a year, and all of a sudden you're just like them. So listen, who is your family? Because they are shaping who you are. I think that's so important. Listen, at Pathway, we view, and it's notice they said they devoted themselves to each other. We talked about that. Don't be alone. But family shapes who we are. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to prayer, to relationships, and they were in each other's homes all the time. In other words, we would call that discipleship. In other words, that's a big word. It's a Bible word that simply means this, growing closer to be like Jesus. That's what discipleship means. In fact, at Pathway, discipleship is not a program. It is not like, well, you go through this one class, and in nine months, You've graduated, and now you're like, no, 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 no. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the New Testament. Jesus never said that. We, in America, we think of that. We think of, well, if I go through this thing, and I do the things, and I check the boxes, then I'm a disciple. No. No, instead, what we see here is they devoted themselves. It was a lifelong process. Discipleship is not a class that you complete. That means nothing. 
It is a lifestyle of continuing to be more like Jesus. So look, because uh, you go through this class and graduate, really, if you're not continuing to be more like Jesus, then it was a waste. No, instead, I want to be more like Jesus today than I was a year ago, than I was six months ago. And a year from now, I want to be more like him than I am right now. That's discipleship. It is a process. And all of us are at different levels, so we don't judge each other. Some people grow really quickly. Some people, it takes them a while to grow. Why is that? Well, I would say this, to be quite honest, you get out of it what you put into it. We talked about last week that Jesus said one of the number one ways people would know we are his followers is by the fruit that our life produces. We'll talk about that in a moment. But how do you have healthy fruit in your life, evidence that you love Jesus? Because the roots that no one can see. And so discipleship is every day my roots are getting a little deeper and a little deep. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean I don't mess up. But every day, that's the goal, a little deeper and a little deeper. That's what we want for you. We want you to be a self-feeder where, where we just kind of supplement what you and God have been doing throughout your week all week. Listen, we want to help you develop deep roots. It's a lifelong process of becoming more like him. Not a, not a class or a program. So I was, I was challenged this summer to think about, I, I took a class, and in the class they asked this question of what are the qualities or attributes of a disciple, right? Oh, we want to be followers of Jesus, but what does that really look like? To be honest with you, I hadn't thought, I mean, I thought about it, but not like super, super in-depth. And I was like, well, it's, you know, they love Jesus. And, and, and they said, no, no, let's really define that. And I'm telling you, the more we all kind of thought and discussed it, what you could do is take all the words of Jesus, all the words of the Bible, the New Testament, all that, and say, well, this is it. You're probably going to have about a 150-page document by the time you're done. Like, this is what a disciple, they do this, they don't do this, and on and on. And then you have a list of do's and don'ts, and that's just called religion, and we don't do that. So the more we thought, I thought, well, man, what would be like if I could just come up with something of just kind of the big picture view so this is what, what, what I came up with and that I want to pass along to you. So when we say disciple at Pathway, we mean it's a lifelong process, but really three main attributes is what I would say. As I look at Jesus, I look at the New Testament, three main things. One is a disciple loves like Jesus loves. Jesus said that you will know the world and other non-Christians will know that you're my followers, not by what church you go to or how long you pray, but how you love each other. In fact, that's the whole reason Jesus came. We're going to celebrate that at Christmas. The most famous probably Bible verse in the world because it's at every wrestling match and NASCAR race and football game. I don't know what those have in common, but you see some fan somewhere, John 3.16. So I don't know what's up. But it says, God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus to die so that no one would die apart from him, but everyone would have a relationship with him. God so loved. The New Testament later in John would say, that the same John guy would write another letter and say, God is love. So listen, do you love like Jesus loves? Do you love other people, other Christians the way Jesus does? And, and I would say this as well. Jesus loved people that don't love him back. He loved broken, hurting, messed up people. Do you love people who vote differently than you do? Who have different values than you do? Who see the worldly different than you do? You love people. Doesn't mean you always agree or accept everything, but you love them because Jesus loves you. You love like Jesus loved. Here's the next thing. I think you got to live like Jesus lived. Live like Jesus lived. Now, this is a pretty broad one, 
But, but when you look at the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, do you live like he lived? Do you treat people the way Jesus did? In fact, as we said earlier, uh, later on, there's a letter in the New Testament called Galatians. It was written to some Christians that lived in modern-day Turkey. Back then, it was called Galatia. And in chapter 6, uh, it lists, and we talked about fruit earlier, the evidence that we're followers of Jesus. It lists what that would be. It's called the fruit of the Spirit, and it's patience, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, love. Do you have those in your life? I'm not saying you're perfect, but do you have them in your life? Working on them, yeah, but you have them. That's evidence that you're a follower of Jesus. You live like Jesus lived. And, and, and then we could talk about all these all day. Here's, a, I would say, the third one of, a, of, of qualities of a disciple, how we can kind of on the outside look to say, yeah, I, I think they've got it. They love people like Jesus loved. They're living like Jesus lived. And I think the third one, they think like Jesus thinks. In other words, they don't just go along with what culture says just because they're afraid to get canceled. They don't just go along with what culture said because that's just what we do and I want to be nice and I don't want to offend. I don't want to. No, no, no. They think like Jesus thinks. In other words, what I would say this, they have a biblical worldview. Now, that's a big word. What we mean is they view the world around them and the culture around them and the nation around them their politics around them, social media around them, friends around them, through the lens of the Bible first and foremost. So if you're on the right wing of, of whatever, you view your life through the lens of the Bible. If you're on the left wing, you look through those things through the lens of the Bible. That is what matters. You think the way Jesus does. You, you understand what it means to be his follower. You have those qualities in your life. Listen, our goal is that you would grow in that maturity. In fact, we take that so seriously here at Pathway that, as some of you know, we started this in August, um, that right now, as we are all in here, uh, every day, every Sunday, from 9 to 10, we have our youth group here at Pathway. They meet in one of the other theaters. And the very same message that I am giving to you right now out of Acts chapter 2 about fine family, our, our student pastor, Pastor Carrie, pours into our students from 9 to 10. They have a great time, and then she gives them basically the same message. I mean, I mean, it's my same notes. It's age appropriate, of course, but she gives it to them. Then they turn around from 1030 to about 1130, and they're pouring that. The students, the teenagers, are pouring that same message into the kids in Kids Path. So the lesson at Kids Path isn't just some random thing. We do it intentionally because we want to make disciples of all ages at every level. So if you have kids in Kids Path right now, they're hearing the same message that you are hearing as a mom and a dad or aunt and uncle or grandma and grandpa. Again, age appropriate. And, and by the way, the teenagers that are teaching it, we mean that. They're teaching it. They're not like just, you know, wiping snotty noses and helping them go to the bathroom. They're literally leading the class. They're leading the small group. So we're developing leaders in your teenagers. You may not see it, Mom and Dad, throughout the week, but we see it here at Pathway. We're developing leaders. They're growing spiritually. The kids are growing. My son um, loves it. He, he loves the week when the teenagers are in there. And, and he's got uh, one of his favorites called uh, Abe, Abram. And, and, and Abram, I don't know if he's in here or in there. I can't see anything because the lights are too bright. But wherever Abram is, my son loves him. Last Sunday after church, we were outside hanging out. It was a beautiful day. And all he talked about was, was Abram and how much he loved it. And Abram is a giant football player. He's, he's 12 foot tall, 300 pounds. He's a giant guy. And my son's small. And he just loves him. 
And, and Abram doesn't just play games with it. He pours into his life. And, 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 and so Monday at staff meeting, I was asking Pastor Kerry, Pastor Andrea over kids. were like, hey, is this going well? Do we like this? Do we need to make a change? And they both said, we love it. The teenagers love it. They're getting more out of it than maybe even the kids. But, and the neighbors said, no, the kids love it too. And we take it so seriously that, that when you leave here on a Sunday morning, your whole family has heard the same message of the Bible. That's what we want to mean. We want to disciple, help disciple your family. That's what we're all about. Listen, whenever I, I have bad days, which are very few, I'm the, probably the most optimistic person you've ever met. I'm very optimistic. But whenever I have bad days, which are few, I honestly, I think about you. I encourage myself in prayer and studying the Bible with worship music, but, but inevitably my mind goes to many, many of you. And I'll th- I pray for you, a lot of you by name every day. But, but my mind, whenever I'm discouraged, will think about you. And I think about, um, I think about a conversation I had about a month or so ago. Um, Pathway had just turned five. And the Saturday before, we were having lunch with the original couple from Pathway. It was like my wife and I and then this couple. They were numbered before any staff member, anybody else. And it was Bruce and Malia. And, again, I can't see anything, so I could be talking to an empty room right now. But, but they were, it was with Bruce and Malia, and I love Bruce and Malia. And I was sitting across from Bruce, and we were at Hideaway Pizza. And, and uh, you know, I know Bruce likes to read, and I like to read. And so I said, hey, Bruce, you're making conversation. Bruce, have you been reading any good, book, any good books? And, and he said, yeah, I've, I've been reading the Bible. Well, I have two thoughts right there, to be honest with you. One is... Come on, Bruce, you know me better than that. Like, just because I'm the pastor, we can be real here, all right? You tell me what you're really reading. Uh, but the more he began to talk, I'm like, you really have been reading? Because then he's telling me things like, I didn't even know that was in the Bible, Bruce. I need to go find that out. And, and he began to tell me, and you could just see it on his face. You could hear it in his voice that he has been growing so much just recently as he is studying God and God is working in him and growing in him. And I'm telling you, that encourages me more than anything else to see somebody grow. Again, discipleship, I'll say this, you get out of it what you put into it. If your relationship with Jesus is Sunday morning only, that's about the depth of your walk with him. It'll be shallow. And I don't mean that to be offensive. I'm just being truthful. But if you are daily spending time with him and you're daily in love with him, you're going to get a lot more out of it. And honestly, that's why some Christians have been Christians for like 20 years, but they haven't grown but a few inches because they're not really putting a lot into it. Other Christians have been Christians for like a year, and, man, they are growing leaps and bounds. Why? Because they are devoted. This Acts chapter 2 word, they're committed. They're devoted to growth. They want to be connected. You get out. So that's the question. Like, what are you putting into it? Because that's what you're getting out. Somebody else I think about that I get encouraged was at men's group. We have men's group this week, and, and it's going to be great. It's at Qdoba, so I encourage you guys come out to men's group. It's wonderful. But at men's group a few weeks ago, um, and again, I can't see if anybody's here or not, but uh, Matt Gray was there, and Matt and Rachel are a great couple. And Matt said something that was just so powerful. I thought that's and just encouraged me, and I thought that's great. He said uh, we're talking about priorities, and we're talking about kind of this very thing. And he said, our son plays baseball, and he's on this team, and they travel. And, and, and he said, we just told, we made a commitment at the beginning of this season, we will not miss two Sundays in a row due to baseball. 
And he said, now, you know what, hey, that maybe that third Sunday we will go. So he said, we told the coach that in the beginning. If there's a tournament on a weekend, we'll be there all day Saturday. Uh, if it's a Sunday afternoon, late game after church, we'll, we'll definitely be there. But if it's during church time, um, we're not going to be at every one of them. In fact, we'll only be at like one out of every three or four. Because we want to teach our kids the priority. We want them to be devoted. We want them to grow. Family shapes who you are. That encouragement. I thought, man, this guy gets it. That's right. I love that. Hey, we're still going to play baseball. It's going to be good. But our life's not going to revolve around it. Every every two weeks we're going to be in church. If we need to, maybe they miss today because of baseball. I don't know. I can't see. But, But that's the idea. I love that. So here's what you do. Be part of the family. Be part of the family. Don't be alone. Family shapes who you are. Be part of the family. A few weeks ago, um, speaking of not being here, we weren't here. My family wasn't here because it was fall break. And um, we, we went on a cruise, never been on a cruise before. And, and I loved it. It was a great time. Uh, now I, I have a fascination with giant ships. I don't know why, but now I love big ships. I should have joined the Navy, I guess. I just love big ships. They're really, really cool, and I kind of geek out on them. And, uh, but if I start putting ships in a bottle, then you can worry, okay? But I'm not there yet. I'm not that far. Um, no offense if that's who you are. But, um, but I love ships. And as one night our kids were doing their thing, and it was my wife and I, and I was looking kind of down at the bottom and looking at all the rivets on this ship that comprised this giant ship. And, and I thought, you know, what would happen if one of these bolts, one of these rivets was to suddenly pop out beneath the waterline? Well, two things would happen immediately. Number one, that rivet, that bolt would begin to sink instantly to the bottom of the ocean. The other thing that would happen simultaneously is the ship would begin to take on water. Maybe, maybe a little bit, not a lot, but it would take on water. If that's not addressed, then before long, the ship will eventually sink. So you understand then that the bolt, the rivet, needs the ship just as much as the ship needs the bolt. You need community. You need pathway. You need groups. You need purpose teams just as much as we need you. We don't need you because we need more volunteers or we need more people. We need more money. No, no, family. We are an ever-growing family. You need to get plugged in. You need to get connected. Be in a group. If you're not in a group, get in a group. Like make that up today. I'm going to be in a group. You're not on a purpose team, get on a purpose team. It's not because we need more volunteers. No, it's because you need these relationships to help you grow. I promise you, you join a group or a team or some of you both, you look up six months to a year from now, you're like almost a different person. In fact, I just want to give you that challenge right now. If you will give us one year of your life and be all in, I'm not talking like just once a month coming to, I'm talking, I'm going to be there every week and, and, and I'm going to be committed. And I'm going to be in a group. I'm going to be on a team. I promise you, you'll look up and you're going to have grown so much in your relationship with God. You're going to think, man, why didn't I do this sooner? I really believe that. Be part of the family so that we will help you grow and you help us grow spiritually. Let's model what God wants us to model in Acts chapter 2 of being family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your truth and for who you are. God, we ask that you would help us and show us and teach us to be bigger than ourselves, that we can grow. God, clearly this is what you want for all followers of Jesus and all Christians everywhere and for all churches. 
to be family. You use that analogy a lot. So, Father, help us to be plugged in, to be connected to each other, that on hard times we have other people to lean on, people that will care enough to confront, people that will encourage us and support us and challenge us and help us grow. Father, we love you and we thank you. We're nothing without you. Today, as we're all just continuing to pray right now in this moment, today, if you would say, you know, Brian, that, that first thing you talked about, about know God and a relationship with him, that's me. I, I do want family. I really do. But first, I need to give my life to him. Look, we're not asking that you join our church. We're not asking you to find religion. We're inviting you into an opportunity of the one that created you that will change your life forever. I promise you and guarantee you it's the one decision you'll never regret. If that's you, as the rest of us are just praying right now, you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. If you would just simply raise your hand, we're not going to have you stand up or come to the front. There's, there's not enough room, but just right where you're at, just, just raise your hand. I just would like to give my life to Jesus. We'd love to just pray with you.